Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of Social Jello with Angelo, where I'm going to talk about my、uh, experience with、uh, Ultra Run. Again, it wasn't an organized event, it was a 50K that I took on, and I talk about that in the first part of the podcast.、Um, just a quick、uh, maintenance or some things that I want to put out there.、Uh, first of all,、uh, as you know, Social Jello with Angelo, or as you may not know, which is why I'm going to say it, Social Jello with Angelo is a little concept I put together a few years back.、Uh, lately, I've been reformatting and trying to mix not just everything and my experiences and my master's in psychology and the fact that I live in Japan, but I'm trying to mix it a little more with other aspects of my life that are, I mean, I, I, it's always from the lens of psychology. And specifically, this episode, is,、uh, this episode is looking at things from sports, from an angle of sports psychology, which is an inter- interdisciplinary. Study or、uh, inter- interdisciplinary field that combines things from kinesiology to psychology to view and how to help people who are amateur and professional athletes perform better. So, this episode is coming from that perspective. Every episode has a perspective of psychology in it, and I'm, lately I'm trying to be a little more specific about what type of psychology it is, and that's why I'm mentioning it right now. Uh, some more maintenance stuff. If you want to check out, if you're checking this out, there's a lot of places you can check this out. You can download the podcast for free, of course, on iTunes.、Um, you can listen and download for free from my website at www.socialjello.com. You can stream it from there for free so you don't have to take up any data on your phone if you don't want to. Or if you want to have a copy of it, you can download it for free from iTunes or from the website, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, if you don't want to do either of those things and you have like an app like I do, TuneIn, TuneIn.com, TuneIn app, it's like very, it's a, it's a streaming app and it's also free. You can listen to my podcast for free on TuneIn. And、uh, you can also listen, listen to my podcast on Blueberry.、Uh, you can Google Blueberry and it's also another different type of app. It's a streaming app. Again, for free. You can just listen to it there. And Last.fm recently started. Broadcasting my stuff for free on their stuff too. So, those are the many avenues that you can listen to it. I really don't care which way you do it. I do this because I love to do it. It's fun.、Um, I do a lot of stuff, as I mentioned earlier in the intro, and I just want to share my experiences and hopefully inspire you to go on an adventure. That's really what it's about. I hope that you can listen to these stories and think to yourself, because I'm an average dude. I'm not, I, I don't make a, I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a famous person. I'm just a regular dude with,、uh, with a nice mic and、uh, some equipment that I got on Amazon. And I do a podcast. You should do a podcast if it's something you're interested in. If not, just at least if you can walk away with saying, like, well, the things I've done, you can do too. That's all I want to say. Like, if you hear an adventure, like, really go on an adventure. I, I really encourage you to do that.、Um, one last thing I want to mention. For those of you who are listening to this that really just want to listen to John and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know this Angelo guy. I don't want to hear him talk. That's totally cool. I respect that. So I'm going to give you a heads up right now that if you're listening to the podcast, if you jump to about 33 minutes, if you jump ahead 33 minutes on this thing right now from this introduction, you are going to end up on John's podcast or John's interview. 
and you can skip the first part where I talk about how I got into running and I talk about you know all that stuff so I'm trying to limit this to about right now I'm gonna I'm gonna hit stop real quick on the recording very soon so that I promise again from this point if you skip ahead and I'm waiting two seconds to 34 minutes you'll be there okay all right I promise that I will catch you later and I hope you enjoy the show So today I'm going to be going over my end of the 50k run. And I guess before I even start talking about the 50k run, I kind of have to start talking about how I got into running. A lot of people are under the false impression that I like running. <laughs> and I guess if you if you look at my personal Facebook account, you're going to see that every day I go for a 5k run. It's in between my training. Running is definitely become part of my training as a martial artist it always was uh i guess um when i first picked up my first book on martial arts uh and i read about you know bruce lee i know it sounds cliche but yeah it was bruce lee um one of the first things that came to my mind that came to my attention was that bruce he ran a lot he ran all the time he was constantly running and uh, when, when, when asked about why he would run, he said it's one of the easiest ways to get your, to get your uh, training in. Like, you know, you might not always have a chance to go to the gym. You might not always have a chance to lift weights. But there's two things you can always do. You can always do shadow boxing. You don't need a bag for that. And you can always run. And he was known for when he would go on his trips and when he was on the road or, you know, he traveled the world, right? He would bring his running shoes with him and go running wherever he'd go. And uh, it, it was really common for him to go running right before, even when he was on set for a movie, he'd go running before the shoot, before the, before the shoot would start, right? So that really inspired me and made me think, oh, well, then running has to be part of it, which is kind of funny because before that, I hated running. And I still, well, you know, I'm going to say I no longer hate running, but sorry, getting some coffee. Um, going back then... I would say that I did not enjoy it. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Uh, I got a pair of running shoes. I would run and then do shadow boxing. And that, that was, a, how old was I? I was about 14, 12 when I started doing that. And I just, it just became a part of my routine. Given I wouldn't run every day. Uh, I would run whenever I had the chance. I guess I would run every day because I'd run at school too. But it was funny because then when I run track for PE, I hated doing it and I wouldn't do it because my legs were already tired from running after or before school. So uh, no one knew I was an athlete. Everyone just kind of thought I was just kind of this odd guy who didn't talk to many people. Either way, that's how originally I had running into my training. But I really didn't get into running until I came out to Japan. And I just came back from an injury. Um... I was a little heavier back then. I was about 92 kilograms. I was about 215 pounds as I as I got to Japan. I was competing in uh in at martial arts tournaments. I just did my first MMA tournament and I slimmed down for that fight to 185, but I was actually competing in the open weight in uh kickboxing open karate tournaments before that. And looking at that I, I, you know, I, I ran, all, I didn't run too much. I, I was just pretty much running like about three miles uh, up this hill near my house, around my house. And I did that five days a week. And that helped me get down to 185. 
which allowed me to fight as a middleweight, which is what I did. But a little after that, I got an injury. I also did a lot of surfing. I would surf. I still do. But back then, I, I lived next to the ocean. I was only like 30 minutes away, so I'd surf every day too. So I'd run and surf. But uh, something happened on one of the runs, and my calf started to feel really bad. Like It started to hurt really bad. And I could surf, but I couldn't run. So I kind of started surfing a little more. But then when I moved to Japan, I was so far away from the ocean, I had to figure something out. So, yeah, so I didn't really didn't. At that point, you know, I just got back to, I just got into Japan with the injury. And as I was saying earlier, um, I had a lot of unwanted weight because I had to stop running. Um, it was just something that was hurting. It was aggravating my calf. I, did, I started doing yoga and being out in the middle of the countryside, I was so far from the ocean. I, I couldn't get the surfing in that I used to, to be able to to get my cardio in and I got a little into walking but I had to figure something out so when the injury finally started to go away the the calf it was in, it was like a muscle injury I decided that I would try to cut down in weight because there was no there was no um oh and then for for those of you people watching the YouTube video the power just got shut down and I don't, I'm still going to do the podcast. I don't want to stop it because of something minor like that. Um, but yeah, if you're watching the YouTube video, suddenly it gets dark in this portion of the podcast. And I, I just had the electric people come here and they're doing some work. But luckily, uh, most of my stuff is battery powered. Just uh, for you YouTube people, it's going to be dark <laughs> for this part of the interview. Oh, maybe I can open a window here. Give me a sec. Let me open a window. Walk over here. natural lighting there you go all right back to the mic all right okay so there you go you youtube people it's not that dark either way um what was i saying oh yeah losing the weight and i started running again and that was the only thing i can think of and at that point i started running every day because i realized dude it's getting really hard for me just to be under 200 pounds and i it was relatively easy for me to be at about 185. It, was, it didn't take too much of a struggle. And I figured out that, well, it's because I surfed every day for two hours. Without the surfing, I had to make up for the loss of cardio. And I did, I did kickboxing and stuff, but I still needed to make up two hours. I was doing surfing for two hours, and I had to make up for two hours of missing cardio. You know, kickboxing maybe covered 30 minutes to an hour of that, but I still needed another hour, something intense. Surfing's pretty intense, especially in California where the waves can get pretty big. They're usually averaging between three and five feet, you know. The head, head to shoulder is usually headsets, which you're dealing with. And every so small, go small swell. Even small swell over there is at least your waist. So you still have to fight the ocean, right, to paddle out. And um, it's great cardio, but I didn't have that. And at that time, uh, my boss that I worked with at the English school, he told me, hey, I noticed that I noticed that you've been getting into running. And I was thinking to myself, um, yeah, I guess that's something I always do. He's like, have you ever read Born to Run? And at the time, I, I never had, I mean... I think I heard it mentioned quickly on the Joe Rogan Experience podcast once or twice, but I never read the book. And he had a copy of it, and he said, oh, I'll let you borrow the book. 
And my thing about when someone lets me borrow something, I kind of, honestly, I did not want to read the book. I told him, yeah, really, dude, I'm not a runner. He's like, no, 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 it's, it's a great book. You know, as an athlete, I think you really enjoy it. And I, I still had a hard time viewing myself. I know I've been doing martial arts for so long. I still had a hard time at that point viewing myself as an athlete. And um, he pushed me. He's like, no, you really got to check it out. So I got the book and I read it and I, I loved it. Uh, written by Chris McDougall. I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast. And it was a great, it was a great inspirational book because this guy was a heavier dude when he started writing the book himself and talked about his journey, weight loss, losing weight through running, how he had a hard time running because he's a bigger guy. And I was a bigger guy at that time. And it just worked out really well. It was inspiring and it had some really great tips in there about how to run properly which was something that I really needed if I was going to get better at running longer distances. At that point, I had never tried to run 10 kilometers, which is six miles. I, I, the most I ever ran at that point in my life was, was a five kilometers, three miles. That's the most. I never ran more than that. I thought running more than that would, I'd die. I tried doing a 10K when I first got into it, and I felt like I was dying out here in Japan. And, um, you know, I, I, I learned that I had to think more about timing. I had to think about not just timing. Like when you start talking about longer runs, like six miles, 12 miles, marathon running, that those kind of distances require you to kind of find, that's where you kind of, that's where I started digging in more of the psychology that I studied, looking at things like uh, mindfulness and breathing techniques and just finding ways to think about how to enjoy the run, how to enjoy something that I, I essentially hated. I told you earlier, I hated running. I felt it was just the most painful experience. Everything hurt. And the reason everything hurt was because I was running improperly. So after I read that book, that's how it pretty much got me into running. Um, I started not just running for my martial arts, but actually running for fun. Like on the days that I wouldn't be training, I'd go for like a trail run, do like a 10K uh, or do a 20k and, and he me and my boss would he'd, we'd feed off each other he's like hey how much do you run this week you know you should, now that you're getting into running you should probably do a longer run so like right now you do like five 10ks every day five you know 5k here 10k there 5k here 10k there you should probably throw in like a 20 15k or a 20k at the end of the week and i started doing that too and it really worked out because in in japan they did they do not have they have weight classes but to be honest there's just not a lot of muscular guys uh once you start getting into just plain old middleweight once you're talking about 82 kilograms most of the guys are just chubby and fat um because they don't really have a gym culture out here with people lifting weights i'm sure there are people i'm sure maybe tokyo is different but for some reason the area i'm in in kansai there just isn't a lot of big guys and uh, either that or they're huge like sumo wrestler looking dudes like you know pushing 200 and something pounds. and that, that wasn't me as soon as i started running i started realizing i'm actually a lot smaller than I first thought I was. I still continued the same weight training program, the same martial arts program. I just started throwing in 5k runs and I probably started running about 25 to 30 kilometers a week with a long run at the end of the week. Sometimes I throw in 8k intervals or I'll do a 20k, 30k once a month or whatever. And I realized that I'm actually closer to 175 pounds naturally without dieting, without cutting carbs. And that's when I first tried to do my first marathon, which I was turned down for. And after that, I, I trained really hard for that thing. You know, I was I was worried I wouldn't finish. So I was literally running like about at that time, I was running about 60 kilometers a week, just 10K, 10K, 10K five days a week. 
And on the sixth day, on a Saturday, I would do like a, I would do another 10K or sometimes I do 5Ks and at the end of the week I do a 30K or 20K. And I really prepared for it. So getting turned down kind of sucked. And I realized, you know, I don't need a organized event to do this. I, if I want to do it, I can just do it on my own. And I did. I mapped out a course next to my house that was about 10 kilometers in a lap. It, had, it involved a few paved trails. And I just went at it and, and one day did a full marathon distance. A little over, actually. That, that day, it was supposed to be planned at 42 kilometers. And I ended up running about 45 kilometers because I misestimated the distance. But it was really cool. Um, I finished that in five hours and 45 minutes, which is typically pretty slow. But there, like I said, it was it wasn't on flat land. It was a lot of hills and a paved trail, um, which really prepared me for the next part. If you watch the YouTube, you'll notice that there's a there's an older YouTube video of me trying this ultra 50k that I tried to do uh, a few years ago, and my friend got injured and I didn't finish. And I talk about that a little bit with my interview with John, and uh, and it came up a lot. Thought about it a lot. Um, over the last few weeks, and I finally was able to talk to John. So yeah, like I said, the first time I attempted this, if you this is your first time hearing this podcast, the first time I attempted it, I got halfway through. Um, it's a 50k. It's called the All Roco Mountain Trail Run. Um, it's also sometimes they have an organized event called the Cannonball Run and a few other organized events around it for trail running and ultra marathon running. But as usual, I didn't want to do an organized event, which later I found out is... Well, I'll get into that in a bit. So, excuse me, getting some more coffee. Um, getting from point A to point B, you start in this place called Suma, and you go up this mountain, and then you end in a place called Takarazuka, which is at the other end. So you kind of start in one city, and you end in another city, and you're just traveling through the mountains. You go through the town once in a while go through like maybe one or two towns in between the mountains and uh, the signs are really hard to find it's like this kanji uh, which is a Chinese character all Chinese characters there's three written systems in Japan kanji is the hardest and I know some of it but you know, the signs are not exactly easy to find either they have, it's kind of like a treasure hunt if you will for the sign and sometimes we get lost and on the first attempt we almost finished it we got all the way through no no I shouldn't say we almost finished it we got halfway through and when we got halfway through, um, I think we made a right when we should have crossed over a river. And we, I started noticing that we were no longer climbing, but we were kind of going down the mountain. And that's when it hit me that, ah, I think we're lost. And I had maps, but the maps didn't help because the GPS didn't work. And a paper map, if you don't know where you are <laughs> on the trail, you, you run off the maps that you have, then you're kind of screwed. I, I stopped a guy. That's when I stopped a guy that was... Uh, that was running and I asked him hey man in Japanese you know I asked him which way we should be going and he said you kind of deviated kind of added another five or 10k to the 50 that you were already doing you're gonna have to climb up this part of the mountain and I was willing to do it I said okay cool all right let's go we'll just hoof it's only 10k more and that's when my friend turned around and said you know what man I didn't want to tell you this earlier but I kind of hurt my knee uh about 5k ago when we tried the run and and uh, I'm really tired and I'm, I'm not feeling so good. And he was really pale and he didn't bring that much food because he's used to organized runs and he kind of didn't prepare properly. So preparation's really big on this stuff. Luckily, I had enough food. I gave him some of my food and I didn't want to push him and I didn't want him to get hurt. So we, we ran down the mountain back into the city. And that was it. That was the end of that of that attempt. Now, the second time, this now this last time, so I figured I need a professional. 
I need someone who's done it before. And even though John says, you'll hear him in the video, I'm not a professional. Okay, I'll give him this much. He's not a professional runner. He doesn't get paid to do it. But I needed someone with experience who knew the trail, who knew how to do it, who's done it before. And he's done it several times. And he talks about that later in the interview with the hashtag runners and whatnot, or hash runners. He, he explains it more better than I do. But he's done the trail before. So what we did is we decided to meet up in Suma. Now, last time I started in Suma, Suma Koing, which is like a Suma Park, if you will, in English. It's a, it's a different train station. But this time, to save time, we figured instead of meeting at Suma Park, we would meet at a different station, which um, essentially is still the same distance. It doesn't actually change the distance of the run. What it does is it, uh, it, it, it comes at a different angle and you take a different trail, but it meets up to the same trail which is really convenient for me because I come all the way from the countryside. It's it's a good two-hour train ride. Oh, actually, I was kind of lucky. Early in the morning, it was about an hour and a half. Either way, it's a long train ride there. So I was able to start there. We started at 7 o'clock in the morning. I met up with Jean. Uh, he gave me some advice. He said, hey, make sure you make sure you drop a deuce before you start because the last thing you need to do is you know have to go to the bathroom. There's no bath. There's some bathrooms, but they're far and few in between. And I, you know, I really did properly prepare for this thing. I brought food, I brought water, I brought, um, I even brought baby wipes in case I did have to kind of go to the bathroom out in the middle of a trail. I had the opportunity if I had to, I didn't have to, but if I did, I had it. And I was really prepared. I, I mean, I was prepared well last time, but I want to say that this time I was almost better prepared because I had the guide and he, John advised me to do some carb loading, which I have never done before. I normally just bring my carbs with me on the run, but I did some carb loading. And, and for me, being on a low-carb diet, it just meant eating carbs, like I mentioned later in the interview with John. And I just, you know, normally normally my diet as a martial artist consists of a low-carb breakfast, just a tiny piece of toast, some eggs, one egg, a tiny piece of toast, one egg, and a cup of coffee. That's it. Uh, and I put some almond butter on my on my toast with, with very little sugar on it, uh, with and a banana, half a banana. That's my breakfast every morning, like clockwork. I always have the same thing. It's kind of boring. Then for lunch, I normally have a salad and a little bit of meat, either some chicken or some ham, and that's how I do my that's how I do my salads, right? That, that's how that's how that works out. That's a, it's a low carb lunch, and a little bit of noodles. Um, they have this thing called zaru soba. It's made of soba. It's really hard to explain what soba is, but I'll let you know it's not wheat. It's a type of grain that's out here in Japan, and it's very low carb. Uh, it's no oil. It's very good for you, and the calories are really low. I don't count too many calories, but I do count a little bit when I'm trying to cut weight, which I'm doing for this fight, right? That's next week. I don't know when this comes out. It's on May. My fight might be after this podcast comes out, but it, whatever. It's on May 13th. It's in a week from when I, from today while I'm recording this. And I, either way, so I actually started eating carbs pretty much. For lunch, um, I went to a nice Indian restaurant, had this thing called naan bread. It's really good if you've never had it. It's delicious. It's kind of like a flat bread, a flat Indian bread. It's a nice restaurant that makes their own here in town. And um, I had that. I had some cheese naan bread, and they use like a little bit of a, of a honey. They put honey with cheese, which is a really good mix. And um, and I had that for lunch on a, on the Thursday, which was two days before. And then for dinner that day, 
I had uh, some sandwiches. I had, uh, no, one. I had I had a sandwich for lunch, and I haven't had a sandwich in a long time. And then on the day before, on the Friday, I had my regular breakfast, and then for for lunch, for lunch, I had two slices of pizza, and that was my lunch. And, uh, and then for dinner, I had some pasta, and not a lot, just a regular serving of pasta, which, again, I don't eat that many carbs, so that was... That was my version of carb loading. And that was enough to get me going. And I also did this thing called overhydrating. I normally drink about maybe one liter of water, which would be considered like two bottles of water. No, no, I usually drink two liters of water, which would be considered like four bottles of water. Like if you bought a bottle of water at the store, I drink about four of those things a day. And uh, for the run, I did something called overhydrating, where I drink about eight bottles of water a day. Um, if you were to think about, if you're looking at a bottles of water from the store, yeah, I drink about eight bottles, which is about three liters. No, no, sorry, one, two, three, four, no, one, two, three, four liters of water, if you're looking at liters, if you know what liters are. And I was ready for the run, I got up early in the morning, had a nice big breakfast sandwich, started running, and um, for those of you watching the YouTube video, boom, my power is back, that's right, I got some lights. Um, sorry, sidetracked. And we got into the run, started going, going. And uh, the first two parts of the run are pretty technical, and there's it's mostly uphill, just a really sharp incline. You're climbing like 800, 900 meters to get to the top of this mount, mountain, going through several mountains that go up and down, up and down. You go across this really crazy suspension bridge. And as I was going to the top, the second, the first time I ran this a few years ago with my friend, I felt like that was the, such a hard part. But this time I was actually really good. I felt really good going up. Um, as I was getting across some of the steeper parts, like they have these these steps that go up for about maybe about maybe five. You're going up. You're climbing about 300 meters to the top of this mountain, 400 meters to the top of one of the summits, and you're just nonstop stairs, like these these really steep Japanese stairs that are like these logs that they put in with with dirt carved into it it's not it's not cement it's dirt and you go up these steps just non-stop right and last time i felt like i was dying but this time i was doing pretty good i was a little worried because i started getting a little bit of leg cramps um and i asked him i said hey is that normal and uh john was like yeah that's totally normal man you know as long as long as you're okay you know you can as long as you're not injured i'm like oh, i'm not injured so we kept going and one of the things that i promised myself i wouldn't do was i wouldn't complain he told me, uh, he, he didn't tell me, he hinted to me that he's gone running with people before and they complain and it drags the whole group down and he mentioned that. And I realized that I didn't want to be one of those people that, that did that. So I, I made my, my, I tried my best not to complain and just enjoy the process. He kept reminding me to keep my back straight so that I would be breathing with my, he says when you hunch over and you're running, it cuts off the oxygen to your lungs. So you want to keep your back straight so your lungs can be open so you can get as much air as you can. When we got to this place called the Alps, it's like this area in the very beginning, he noticed that I was sweating quite a bit. I normally wear a rash guard and tights, and he suggested to me that maybe it would be a better idea to take off the rash guard and just wear the t-shirt so that the air can cool me down. And that was some great advice because I started drinking less water. I feel like last time I drank a lot more water. This whole run, I believe I only filled up my pack twice and I had extra water at the end. So that means I only went 
Oh, and I also had a bottle of water. So, But I, either way, I still only went through maybe three or four liters of water the whole run. While last time, I think I drank the same thing going halfway through. Going with him, I realized when we got to the river that I was supposed to cross the river. And last time we went right. So there was little things like that that I noticed. And things were going good. 20K, 30K in. We took a few breaks. Had a few snacks. It was awesome. Um, by the time we got to about 30K and we needed another 20k to go, that's when I started kind of, not hitting the wall, but I was getting to a point where I felt like I couldn't run anymore. And we just filled up, I just filled up my pack and it was full again. Then I kind of got used to my backpack being light without the water in it. And uh, John was just a beast, you know, he's been doing this for a long time. And I was worried that I didn't have my headphones because I didn't have anything to listen to, but John is a, he's a, he's a good talker, man. He's got a lot of great stories. He was telling me about these crazy stories about these 100Ks he did and like the, the the club he's in, how they had this thing where they had to wear these red dresses and to to do this charity run and they went to Thailand and just really awesome guy to talk to and just kind of his stories were inspirational and they kept my mind off of the fact that we were doing this really crazy thing, right? Um and when we got to the 30k marker, he said, right now we're about to get to the last convenience store. So if you want to get any more food, here's the spot to do it. And earlier, you know, he makes his own sausages and he shared a sausage that he made with me and it was really good. And I also, like I said, I brought a lot of food. I brought like an apple pie. I look at it like a, a time to have a cheat day, right? And I was still kind of worried because I told him in the beginning of this that I have a fight the next week in two weeks and I didn't want to be injured from this run. So I didn't want to take it on like we were racing. I wanted it to be nice and easy so I can get this done right. And he he respected that. And we went at a pace that, you know, that was feasible, but still when I got to that 30k marker, I was tired and uh stopped by a convenience store and then he suggested, "Hey, you should get a beer. I'm going to get a beer. You want a beer?" And I was thinking to myself, "Fuck yeah, I want a beer." And yeah, I got a beer and I and I had a beer and that beer tasted so good and uh the I don't know if it was already the runner's high I was on, but I felt I got a nice little buzz going. It was clean. My head was clear. And I don't know if it was the beer or the coolness, but like the the, the fatigue and the pain in my legs kind of faded away and I was good. I was ready. So we started going a little bit of a faster pace. We got through this part where it goes through the through the Kobe golf course. And it's like this trail that goes in between this golf course and we get through there. And he's telling me these stories about these houses that have been abandoned out there. There used to be these retreats that these companies own, but after the Japanese economic collapse in the 80s, they people started buying them and we're looking at these houses and he, just, he had a story for every single spot on this trail, which made it really easy to enjoy the view and like I said, forget that I was doing this. Towards the very end of the run, the sun started coming down. We were a good 11 hours in and he told me, he's like, all right, now we're at 42K, so we just we just passed the full marathon marker. And I told him, hey, man, I really don't want to know how many kilometers I have left because the more I think about it, I'd rather not know. And he's like, it's all good. You're doing great. And he was really positive. And so we, we got through it. It was dark. I had my flashlights. We were in this part of the trail. And we finally, we're, we're, now we're going in the dark. We get to these two guys a little before it got dark, we, we bumped into these two younger guys and we're like, hey, what time did you start? And they started before us, like at five in the morning. And we we caught up to these guys. They were two hours ahead of us, right? And we caught up to them. And it was their first time taking on the trail, but still like, John was like, you know, they're young, you know, they're like in their 20s and I'm 36 and John's in his 40s, I think. If you're not John, I'm really sorry about that. But John is older than me. And 
he was just was like, I'm just shocked that my older age, you know, we got those young guys behind us. <laughs> so either way, we, we keep going. We run up and um, when we get through the trails, as we're getting through the trails and it's dark, I have the flashlight and I, I added like a, it almost added like an adventure element to it, which was really cool. And we we get through it and we finish off at this temple and he tells me, okay, see this temple? This is where the ultra run would normally end, right here. But we still have to make it back to the station. And it was just like this severe, de like just de really downhill, really steep paved road. And at that point, after being on the trail for so long, my legs were killing me. I tried my best to put all my weight to the back so that it would only be in my glutes. But going down that hill, I can feel it in the calves. And I was just dying. And finally, he says, okay, we did that for about a kilometer or so. And he said, okay, we still have like another you know, kilometer or three to go. Um, do you want to go down more of this road or do you want to take on this trail? It's really, really scary, but um, it's not as bad as this road. So we got it's not, it's not as bad as just pounding down this road. So we took this trail that was really steep, really scary with these rocks and ridges and, and, and streams in the dark. And I can hear the frogs and there was mosquitoes. and But it was cool. Like we went down this thing. We took it down. It dropped us off in the back of this town. Literally in the back of someone's yard. I was like, oh shit. Like so are these people going to get mad? Like we're in their backyard practically. We go around the fence. Around this person's backyard. That was fenced off. And kind of get around and end up on the road. And I call my wife. Let her know I'm okay. And uh, we finally get back in the town. And it was awesome. We ended off with a, with a nice beer. We had a beer out. Uh, there's this craft. There was this uh, little bar that had craft beer. We had some craft beer to finish off the run, and it was good. I felt really, really good about it, and uh, and that was the 50k run. Yeah. So either way, if you want to try it, um, like I said, I'll, I'll put some information on the website. Next, we're gonna transition into John's interview. It's uh, it's pretty interesting. He talks a lot about a lot of cool stuff. Uh, some of it related to the run, and some of it just related to his life. He's a really cool guy. So without further ado, here's John's interview. All right, this is my second attempt at Mount Roco. I'm here with my guide, John, and, I and uh, he's gonna help me finish it this time. I hope. Um, stay tuned. We're gonna do some clips. Uh, whenever we have some breaks and show you some more footage. Uh, this is a podcast slash YouTube. For the podcast listeners, sorry for the sound. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Check out the YouTube if uh, it's too much for you. Catch you later. All right, we're live. So what's up, John? Yeah, nothing much. Just uh, Actually, I just started my uh, official Golden Week holiday a few hours ago. I had a little uh, class this morning, and uh, yeah, now I'm, I'm free for the next uh, four and a half days. Uh, cool. For my listeners that are listening from wherever you're listening from golden week golden week golden week is a week off that some people get in japan not everybody some people do some people don't but long story short but there are a string of uh, actual national holidays right yeah 29th april 29th is off then May 3rd, 4th, and 5th are officially off. But then, yeah, as you said, a lot of people actually work on those days, yeah? Yeah, they ended up working. So I know when I first came out here, I was like, what's a golden week? 
<laughs> Brings up dirty images or something. Yeah, there's it nothing related to like golden showers or anything, right? <laughs> Not as far as I know. I mean, it does rain today, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but either way, uh, for those of you guys and girls turning in, um, last time I did a 50k run, I attempted the all Roko Mountain course, and my running partner got really sick, got injured. I got about 20k in and had to stop. And this time around, I figured I'd bring in a professional. And that's when <laughs> I contacted John. All right. Mm. So we're almost at the 20 kilometer mark, uh, five hours on the clock. Uh, behind us, we have uh, Samnomia, Central Kobe, uh, with a uh, harbor line in the background. Uh, this has got a really beautiful view uh, from here and all the way back there. We can see all the different peaks that we've been uh, running through. Although, uh, yeah, today with the haze, it's maybe a little difficult to catch uh, all this uh, with a camera. But uh, yeah, I think that we're both feeling uh, relatively fresh. It was kind of like a, a hard climb. We've got a little uh, road going down now to Ishihara, and then from there we climb up Mount Maya, which is the, the last big, big climb of the, the day. So hopefully, our legs will be fine. <laughs> and uh, my mouth is full because I'm eating, so that's all you're going to hear from me on this clip. But uh, we'll, we'll, I'll check in with you all later. <laughs> Professional, yeah. I mean, uh, let's call me an amateur at best. Uh. <laughs> well, he, he's very modest, but um, yeah. I, 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 would, I know you wouldn't consider yourself a professional, but after hearing you tell me all those stories that kept me going in the middle of the trek I, i'm gonna say that amateur I, I i would say i'm more like if you're an amateur i must be like a pre-amateur i guess <laughs> i don't know but i mean just from a technical point of view like a professional is somebody who gets paid to do what they're uh, they're doing and true, true. Um, i'm not getting paid far from it um i mean i might be a, like these days i'm a serious amateur let's call me uh, this way but uh, I mean, there's just so many other people who are way more uh, experienced than I am. And that's why I'm reading a lot of books. So yeah, I'm far from uh, being a professional. I might be a serious amateur, but uh, I'm no way near like what some of the other people that we've met on trail. Um, I mean, the levels that they're at, I'm, I'm nowhere there. That's where I read a lot of books on running. And that's where also I... I prod the minds of a lot of my friends online and in person to for their help for like to get pointers and uh, to to myself get better. Um, so yeah, thank you for the uh, for the for the deny the nice kind words about my level. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I certainly don't feel that I'm in any way a, a professional. Well, either way, um, like I was saying, uh, the first time I tried it, I got really lost. And when mm. I hit you up in January, I was pretty stoked to at least have someone who knew the entire trail because it's really long. I realized last time that even having a paper map doesn't exactly help me because I don't know where I'm on on the map, especially because I've never mm. been there before. So have, at least having someone who's got some experience where we were in these mountains, it, it helped a lot. And after, mm. I, after I posted this up on 
Facebook or just uh, updates, one of my friends immediately was like, oh, I hope you're going to do a podcast on this because I really want to hear how that got done. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to say again, thanks. And um, yeah, we started around seven, we, right? We met up around yeah. seven in the morning. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and maybe we started running around 720 or something, uh, something like that. Yeah. And then we did take a little bit of a different route because we were at a place called Suma JR. Traditionally, you start at yeah, that's Suma right. Koen, right? Suma Urakoen, yeah. Oh, yeah. Suma Urakoen. That's, that's the, the official course of like this uh, whole uh, Mount Roko Trail. Uh, which is 55 kilometers, or you were mentioning before that, yeah, it's uh, it can be hard to navigate. I mean, like, try to navigate anywhere for 50 kilometers if you don't have the right tools or the right knowledge. Uh, it's going to be a little tricky for sure. Yeah, and that's even before the fatigue and everything sets in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, if you watch the video for my listeners, you'll see I started last time on that original course. But um, this time, it like I said, while we're listening to the podcast, it's going to go between our conversation and the footage we took. Um, so for my listeners, it's right here on my website at www.socialjello.com. So you can easily jump there if you want to have the visuals that go along with it. If not, it's cool. I mean, you'll still hear it and you'll get a good idea of what we went through. Mm. But we started at JR station we worked our way up and we got to the Alps a little after that I forgot what kind of the, the they're called the Suma Alps the Suma Alps that was the name. Mm. yeah and that was a pretty that was a pretty cool spot that some sharp ridges and kind of gave you that sense of danger which I thought was pretty cool <laughs> hey, it's definitely one of the most scenic spot on the trail. Uh, I mean, if uh, if some people just want to go there for a hike without like doing all the the running and doing the the whole distance, um, it is near the station called uh, Mio Deni. I think it's called Mio Deni, uh, or and from the, that's on the uh, the subway line from San Nomia. Um, and it is fairly accessible. It's not a very long hike to get there. The the hike up is a little technical, but I mean it's. I mean you could run it uh, with your uh, running shoes that had no tread. So yeah, <laughs> anybody would be able to to do it. So yeah, um, one thing I forgot to mention. Yeah, my my shoes had no thread. At first, I felt I should bring in a good pair of running shoes that I've worn in, but I guess worn out was probably a bad idea <laughs> well i mean yes and no you know because on the parts that are not that technical i mean if they're comfortable i mean often older shoes will feel more comfortable because they'll really start to like getting your foot imprint in in, in them and uh but then of course yeah i mean when you get on trail and yes uh, some of the places were a bit uh technical with loose rock and so on yeah that can be a bit more tricky but yeah, yeah i mean you held your own uh, that was a uh, great yeah, I got, I, I got, I feel a partial training and there was definitely some luck involved <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of preparation, a lot of preparation. Mm. I think that's one thing I want to tell my listeners, if anything, is it takes a lot of preparation. I mean, I did a lot of research, a lot of stuff on um, how to train for it, 
also a lot of stuff about diet and nutrition. Because a lot of mm. people kind of think that just if they have a lot of athletic ability, they can pull it off. And they forget this idea that if you are going to take on anything that's over, mm, even as short as a 20K in the mountains, but as soon as you start taking long distance running, you have to start thinking about calorie intake, what you're eating and what you're putting into your body. And mm. you have to be fairly regular about how much food and how much water and how much sport drink or in your case, hey, you want to tell everyone what you were drinking? Because you had like a custom sport drink. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I've uh, started uh, using a long time ago. I mean, um, basically, it's just water with some uh, garana powder, which uh, gives you some energy because it's got uh, caffeine in it. Um, some lemon juice and maple syrup. I'm Canadian, French Canadian at that. So like maple syrup runs through my blood. I need it like on a constant basis um i'm guessing that probably in the future it might be a good idea to throw in some salt in there because yeah i mean uh maple syrup has various uh minerals in it but it doesn't i believe have uh, like any significant source of salt so probably adding a bit of salt uh, would be better but i mean i do get salt from like other food that i'm eating on trail i've never felt that i needed more salt but it might be something that uh, especially once it gets hotter might be a good idea to to include in my uh, drink um and yeah i mean you were mentioning that yeah calorie intake during the uh, the trail is important but uh, before the trail also um, becomes quite important. Just recently, I've started doing what is called carb loading, which means you eat a lot of carbs in the about the 48 hours, 72 hours before your uh, your main event. Um, and I must admit that it has it seemed to have helped a lot because I didn't feel as hungry on trail um, as I did before on shorter trails. Um, and one thing that yeah you must remember is that yeah when you're on trail, I mean. Unless you're going really, really, really slowly, it's almost impossible to eat enough food to cover the energy that you're spending on trail. So the, the whole time that you're on trail out there, you're running at a calorie de deficit, which can be a good thing, of course, because, yeah, some people are trying to lose weight, myself included. Um, but when you're going to do like a very long distance at a faster pace, uh, you're not going to be able to eat enough food to sustain you. So if you've carb loaded before, then it means that you've got more energy in, the, in your body that your body will be then able to, to get throughout the run. Um, so that's something that's quite uh, important to get into, I think. Okay, Angelo, seven hours in, how are you feeling? I feel like I'm gonna die, no, just <laughs> Actually, it's going pretty good. Mm. Uh, we're a little more than halfway done, and we're at the top of Mount Maya. If you're ever in Japan, and trail running is not your thing, but you like some of the stuff you saw, there's a ropeway right here. I should probably mention the very beginning, the first mountain, you skip the ropeway in Suma, but there's also a ropeway. So you can see all these sides without necessarily having to do a multiple time. Something crazy, and also if you just wanted to see this mountain, it's like a 10k up, so it's really reasonable. You don't have to do what I'm doing. But so far, so good. Uh, this checkpoint, I'm feeling good. Had some more water, got some more food, and ready for the next half. Hmm. So, uh, which should be a little easier in a way because there's not so many ups and downs. Uh, but yeah, once we start really going down, we're really gonna be going down. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll catch you all in the check in. <laughs> Yeah, and I think 
you also you mentioned to me over hydrating beforehand um two mm. days before starting to drink a little more water and yep another thing i want to mention my listeners is some people think carb loading means that you're going to be eating a whole mess of carbs like every two hours or something and some people do that but i mean if you're trying to diet you might all especially some of my listeners who do mma or martial arts you're probably on a, on a low carb diet as it is so mm. for me carb loading was just in essence actually eating carbs which i hardly eat <laughs> So, you know, in the morning, I made sure to have, instead of one tiny piece of toast that I have, I had a nice big piece of toast. And then for lunch, instead of my low-carb carb salad, um, I actually had a, like some pizza and some breads and some, and a, some rice to kind of supplement everything. Mm. So that's kind of like what I, I think I would, if anything, I want to mention to some of my listeners that are wondering about carb loading. And then for dinner, I had like a... a mildly larger plate of pasta than i normally would have so it's a little bit bigger but the portions aren't exactly like ginormous it's not like i went to a buffet or anything mm. but um but yeah it definitely did help like i think the first time i was eating a lot more food but this time around i was eating i w I still ate but i didn't eat as much as, as my last attempt mm. i mean as far as carb loading i mean i guess there's different strategies um one of the strategies that I saw online was to eat about 70% of your food intake, uh, intake as uh, carbs in the next uh, days before. Um, as for myself, I just, yeah, I don't think I reached 70%, but yeah, I mean, I did like eat carbs when usually I wouldn't be eating carbs. Um, and then, yeah, like the, the night before and the, the previous night before the actual run, like I had popcorn late in the evening, which is something that I would never do nowadays, but I used to do quite often. So it was kind of like, yes, guilt-free popcorn. <laughs> and I love popcorn. Like I make it at home, right? Um, so, I mean, just to give uh, like the listeners an idea of, uh, of what's been happening with my body. So like before I started the uh, carb loading, um, I was down to 72 kilos. Um, and I think it was the night before the morning of the, the, the run, uh, my weight was at 75 kilos. Um, so like just in the, like two or three days, I gained about the two or three kilo. Um, and then I had a really fun weekend. I went down to, uh, to visit some friends in the Nagoya over the weekend and had some beer. I didn't care about the carbs. I mean, I also was staying at friend's house. So like for breakfast, I wasn't being fussy, right? And anything like that. And in the afternoon, I had some chips and whatnot. So when I came back, I was, uh, that was what, Monday night, I was back up to about 75 kilos, actually. Um, and then since then, I've been like kind of like getting back into my, uh, my usual uh, food schedule. Um, and then since last night, uh, Tuesday night, um, I was fasting. Like I do also these 18-hour uh, fasts uh, these days. Uh, and that's kind and of like, I know you were mentioning, so this, one, one, that's hard to interrupt you. I just want to mention. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll just that. finish this. I'll just finish this for oh, a okay. moment, Angelo. So then, yeah, this morning I went on my run. Um, I dropped the deuce afterwards. And when I got on the scale, um, I was down to, again, 72 kilos. Um, so, I mean, in the, in the space of one week, I went from like uh, 72 kilo up to 75. I don't know what my weight was at the very end of the run, but like, yeah, we did have a couple of beers afterwards and I got home and I ate this and that. Um, and I had a very fun weekend. 
Um, and then it, it seemed to have stayed at about 75, but then I dropped back to, I guess, what is my standard uh, weight now, which is about 72 kilos. Uh, and that's so. after water weight or before? Uh, that was uh, before water, but I mean, I didn't drink much water when I got back from the run. I didn't feel very thirsty. So, I mean, I had like a, a pint of water maybe and uh, like before, because I wasn't eating breakfast this morning, I decided to make some uh, green tea for the caffeine to give me some energy. And I, again, I had like maybe about a half a pint of uh, water uh, or half a pint of uh, or a pint of uh, tea and i drank some more tea this morning but then yeah when once i got home then yeah i was starting to to get pretty hungry so uh what did i have i had like a, a piece of uh, camembert some uh a sausage because i make sausages i had uh, some chicken wings that were really good like i tried a new recipe and it was quite nice i had some nuts an avocado um and a cucumber so yeah um the idea with these uh, 18 hour uh, fasts uh, coming back to uh, perhaps your, your question is basically you're you're eating you're trying to eat as much as you as you normally would in one day except you eat it you eat all that food in a span of about six hours meaning that for the remaining 18 hours your body is just using the energy that you've just uh, the, that you've consumed, and eventually, especially if you run out of uh, carbs, then your body will go and dig into the fat reserves, uh, going towards uh, like the, the state of uh, ketosis. Uh, so, like I know that a lot of well, I don't know how many people actually follow this or know about this, but there's this diet called keto diet, yes, where yeah, they will include the fasting and very time. high food. So yeah, very high percent of fat, uh, fat food, and yeah, fasting uh, as well. I mean, I'm I'm on a low carb diet, but I mean, I'm not very strict about it. Like uh, on weekdays, I tend to be stricter with it. Um, on weekdays, I I avoid beer as much as I can, unless there's like some sort of special occasion, and then I'll be well. You know, it's a special occasion. I mean, I'm not I'm not crazy about it. I'm not. Uh, I'm not so strict about it. I just want to lose some weight uh, before the, the run, uh, before my big race uh, coming up in three weeks. Um, and then like, yeah, usually on weekdays, I'll have like, as you, as you, I'll have a toast in the morning. Uh, that was before I started fasting or the days that I'm not fasting because I don't do it every day. Um, and then for lunch, uh, sorry, and then for breakfast, I used to have like yogurt, cheese, and nuts. Uh, I eat a lot of nuts because I like them, and vegetables. I, I even have like a salad for breakfast, and I mean, I'm very happy eating that. And then I'd have kind of like similar lunches, though I would often like have maybe more like I would cook some meat, uh, maybe have some more, have some tofu or fish, um, do some sort of stir fry with vegetables. And because of my work schedule, often like I wouldn't eat uh, home at, um, I wouldn't eat home for dinner. So then I bring my own uh, dinner, and often I would just like make a double portion at uh, at lunch and bring that for dinner. Uh, though may, there might be a, few, a little variations. Now that I'm fasting some of these days, basically I just eat a big kick-ass lunch because of course by lunchtime I'm getting uh, quite hungry. Um, and yeah, it just feels good. And usually like by dinner time, like about five, six hours later, when it's time for me to have my second meal, usually I'm not that hungry because <laughs> all that food is still in my stomach. 
Um, the hardest part I would say for me is I've over the years I've picked up a bad habit of um, munching at night, snacking at night. Uh, whether it's like because I was having a beer before in the evening, a beer or two in the evening that I would get hunger or something. And then sometimes it'd be like popcorn or like uh, very rich food that, yeah, if you're not on a low carb diet, will uh, will get on into uh, your belly and your thighs and <laughs> everywhere else. Um, but then breakfast hasn't been difficult to... I haven't felt very hungry at breakfast. Like even this morning after going like running for 10, 11 kilometers, I mean, I felt a little hungry, but it wasn't so bad. It was mostly like walking from to the station to my workplace, passing like all these restaurants and supermarkets where we have like all this, uh, these temptations. Then I, I started feeling a bit more hungry, but I had some more tea, you know, and then I got into my class. And I mean, once I'm in class, you know, like I'm on, like I'm focused on my uh, on my students. Uh, this morning, uh, it was actually at a, a little daycare center. Um, and so like with the kids, I mean, I don't have time to, to like start complaining that I'm hungry, you know, I mean, I've <laughs> got to keep them, <laughs> got to keep their attention, you know, yeah, and, yeah. uh, and you were, and right now you're getting ready for a race, right? So like, what some people don't know is like, I was, I'm doing, I did that 50 K to kind of prepare for a fight that I, I was kind of hoping to get three weeks before the fight, but mm. scheduling wise, we ended up doing this last week. So in Next week, I'm stepping into the cage for my next match in Osaka. And the details for that are on the last podcast, if you want to see about that. Um, but you said you were actually preparing for a race that you have coming up too, right? Where is that? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So it's going to take place on May 20th. Um, and the race is going to be from a place called Yoshino in Nara that is very famous for the cherry blossoms. Like most of the cherry blossoms in, that you'll see in parks in Japan are called Yoshino cherry blossoms because like originally that's the location they come from. I mean, there's a lot of varieties of uh, cherry blossoms and that perhaps is the, the most famous one. And so it starts from Yoshino, which is a, a very, that's very famous also for a lot of the uh, Buddhist temples. And it goes all the way to another sacred place called Mount Koya, which is a uh, sanctuary of various uh, temple um, of various temples. Um, and that was created by a uh, by a traveling monk called the Kobodaishi. Uh, the Kobodaishi is the one who introduced some forms of uh, Buddhism to Japan in the eight, back in the eighth century, if my memory uh, my memory serves me well. Um, and then, like, yeah, he got permission. Uh, to establish a monastery on uh, Mount Koya. Um, and the trail that we're going to follow follows the trail that he used to take when traveling between Yoshino and Mount Koya. And that was kind of like part of the appeal for me in joining this race. Um, I wanted a long race. There's not so many long races at this time of the year in, uh, in Kansai, in our area, and I didn't want to travel so long. I saw this one, which is 55 kilometers. Um, and like, because of this connection with the Kobodaishi, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like from also from a cultural point of view, because I mean, that's something that we haven't touched on, uh, well, until actually, now, but I mean, you call me a prefect. Yeah. If, if you don't, I mean, you, you, you call me a professional runner, but actually I don't love running so much. <laughs> what I really enjoy is the outdoors. And, and you're saying that that's where that the monk you're, you're mentioning that was the monk, uh, just quick, 
tidbit to the listeners, that's the same monk we talked about in the last podcast with uh, my interview with Christopher, who followed that pilgrimage. And um, if you're watching the YouTube videos I'm going to put in between, um, I'll show you a clip right out of the left of this, converse, this section of the conversation, because there was actually a statue of that monk on our run too, right? So this is Dairyu uh, Temple on the top floor on one of the summits that we went up, one of the many top floors. It's pretty cool. I'm digging this monster. And that's Kobo Daishi. Kobo is that the guy who made the trails and Shikoku and all that stuff? That's right, he's the one who made the uh, 88th Temple pilgrimage and who also uh, created the, the sanctuary on top of Mount Koya. Yeah, so... And remember, if you've been following this podcast, I interviewed our last guest, actually, the 88 Temple Pilgrimage also as well. So this is totally different from that, but this is the guy who started it all. Mm. And exactly, he's a very, very famous uh, monk in Japan because, yeah, he... I mean, I don't remember if he brought Buddhism itself in Japan or if he was, like, one of the early like monks who did bring uh, Buddhism in Japan. That part of the, the of history, I, I don't remember, recall exactly, but I mean, he was instrumental in bringing Buddhism in Japan. Um, and in, and I mean, he traveled all over Japan. Um, and that's why you will often find uh, his statues um, around Japan. Like, it, in a way, like for, for, for the people who love... Um, uh, video games and maybe Mortal Kombat, like the character Raiden with his ha with his hat. Like imagine a character a little bit like this. I mean, he's he wasn't a fighter, but with the, his big hat over his head. I mean, if you ever see in Japan a statue of like a guy with a very round hat at a temple, that is most likely the Kobodaishi. That's kind mm -hmm. of like his traditional image. Yes. Um, and so he has a huge importance in the Japanese culture through Buddhism, but also through a lot of other things. Like he was also, he brought a lot of civil engineering uh, knowledge from China. He stayed in China for, I think it was two or four years. And while there, of course, he gathered a lot of information on Buddhism, which he brought back to Japan, but also a lot of in other information on literature and on civil engineering and so on. And some of the... Um, of the um, water retention basins that he had built like 1200 years ago or so are still there. I mean, he brought a lot of that technology for irrigation to Japan. And so that's why he is so revered in Japan is because he's brought so many important elements to help Japan develop itself uh, 1200 years ago. So we reached the top of uh, Mount Roko. That's right, at 931 meters, it's uh, the highest point on the, the whole trail from Takarazuka to uh, Sumar, or vice versa, Sumar to Takarazuka. Um, some people might say, well, it's easier to start with the highest climb and then go all the way to Suma, but actually over there, as we could see before, uh, there were a lot of like ups and downs, so I do find that it's easier to go uh, this way. From now to Takarazuka, we've got about 15 kilometers or so to, to go, uh, mostly downhill, all the way downhill. Um, if we were to go down to uh, Ashia, which is behind us, it's about eight kilometers. It's, uh, the trail is quite a bit, uh, quite steeper. And otherwise, it's about four kilometers back there to Arima, where there's some onsen and you can catch a bus back into town for the uh, if you're interested. So if you were to do the trail from Ashia to Arima, 
we'll be looking at a trail of about 13 kilometers, like, and a lot of people do that on just standard hikes. So. But not for us, not for us today. We're gonna go all the way to Takarazuka. All right, so I guess we'll get to it. Let's go. Yeah, man. I think it's it's really cool. Like one of the cool aspects about Japan is how everything is kind of intertwined into their history, and I mean I, that, that's what originally really attracted me to Japan was its rich mm. history. Um, speaking of history, <laughs> how exactly did you get into running, man? Because you said you're not a professional runner and you don't like running that much. So how how did that happen? Um, well, to be honest, I started running through beer, um, <laughs> of all things. Um, Not literally, I'm a right? member of, a, uh, of an international uh, jogging club that's called the Hash House Harriers. It's got nothing to do with uh, hashish. Um, it was the founders of this club back in 1938 uh, were meeting at a place that they nicknamed the Hash House because all the food was hashed. Um, and that was in Malaysia, pre-war. Um, and basically what they did is that, yeah, they were drinking too much on the weekend, like a lot of expats um, around the, the world. Um, and they decided that they should do some exercise. And so on Monday nights, they would join up at this place uh, called the uh, Hash House. Um, and they would play a British game called the uh, Hares and Hounds. Basically in the Hares and Hounds game, um, one person will get a head start and will lay a, tra a paper trail and the other members try to catch that member. Um, and what happened is that um, as the members started going back to their countries or getting assigned to different places, um, they started their, their clubs, their own local clubs of this jogging club in Rome and in other places. And now this jogging club is in every country in the world i believe and it's like on every continent they even had some runs in antarctica um and so when i was choosing deciding to come to asia uh to live here uh, well when i first got to japan um, i went on a visa run in hong kong where my aunt was living and her uncle had been a member for a very long time and he introduced me to the club and he said look um the, the amazing thing about this jogging club is anywhere you'll go in the world, you will meet people who will be willing to show you the, the good places, tell you what places to avoid and share some beer with you. Um, and so when I got back to Japan, um, and that was like 16 years ago, um, I went online. And from what I could see from where I was living in Nagano, the closest club was in Nagoya. So I started joining the Nagoya club. So coming back to my good weekend in Nagoya last weekend, I went to see some of my friends from the Nagoya jogging club. And I'll be very honest, um, when I started running with, uh, or I mean, back in those days, it was jogging and walking. When I, when I was doing those courses with them, um, the basically the whole motivation for finishing the trail was the beer. I mean, of course, there was a nice uh, community of uh, people there. So, I mean, of course, it was also very instrumental in me uh, keeping up with the, the group. But if there would have been no beer at the end, probably I would have never joined a jogging club. I mean, I'm not a, a natural runner. Or it's not something that I've been doing uh, for uh, a long time. Uh, well, that I've been doing before coming to Japan. And yeah, the the four or five days after the first run that i joined with them my legs were in p 
pain. I mean, it was really, really, really bad. But of all things, the beer uh, told me, hey, it was a fun uh, day out there with those uh, crazies. And you those are all and so trail rocks, right? Um, no, um, a lot of them are city runs. I mean, oh. uh, most of the clubs do join in the big city. So in Nagoya, like, yeah, the, the first run for those who are familiar with, uh, with Nagoya, it was like, yeah, we started and finished around the uh, Sakae, which is like right downtown Nagoya. Um, I mean, we go through parks when we get the chance and sometimes we will go out in nature, but depending on the location of the clubs and depending on the days of the week and who is who is doing the trail for the uh, for the for the week? Um, the locations will really vary. Um, but then, so back in those days when I was living in Nagano, I would be running basically like once a month. I would drive down to to Nagoya. It was my way to go to the city and be able to buy books and buy interesting clothes or whatever. Like buy also international food. Um, it was just a fun weekend for me to, to go down there. Um, but then when I moved down to Osaka, um, there is the, uh, the second oldest, uh, chapter of the hash house harriers in Osaka, in uh, Japan, sorry, is in Kobe. It's the Kobe hash house harriers. They've been running basically every Monday night since the 1970s. Don't throw out your trash or this alligator will eat you. And the blood is dripping out of its mouth. From the, from the trashers that came into the trail and did not follow the rules. Remember that. For those of you listening on the podcast, uh, we're, we, um, <clears throat> we're getting a little demented. Uh, about what 25k in? Some more than that. Oh, okay. We're at 30 now. Oh, we're at 30k now. And apparently, we're seeing alligators. They're on signs, so don't worry. Don't bring my sausages. Yeah. Oh yeah. By the way, John makes some great sausages. Ah, it was that was a nice break. All right, let's, let's keep go. going. I can't recall exactly the. Uh the the date when it was uh, started and like they were running like soon after the the big kobe earthquake in 1995 the people who were not running often were assisting the uh, the rescue uh, operations because since they had run in, in all of those streets for a number of years and because they could obviously speak english uh with the uh, the foreign rescuers well they knew how to get to different places um, and yeah, I've heard quite a few stories of members like helping out after the 95 earthquake. There's also some members, of course, who were basically like back to their home on the, one of the first airplanes because it was, of course, very traumatic. A lot of them lost a lot of goods and they've probably, I mean, basically everybody lost some friends or people they knew probably, right? Um, but anyway, so the... When I came down to Kansai every Monday night, basically I was running with the the Kobe uh, the Kobe club, um, and then I started running with like the other clubs in Kansai. There's like four or five different groups there. Some of them are very active. Some of them are not so active these days. It it comes in waves, right? Um, and then going to one of the All Japan event, um, one of the organizers of that event back in 2005 was a guy whose nickname is uh, Snow White. We all have uh, nicknames in the club. 
um, and he was helping out with setting up the course for the Oxfam Trail Walker. The Oxfam Trail Walker is a, a charity event where teams of four will start and finish together a 100 kilometer course. Um, as the name indicates, like it's not necessarily a running event. Uh, most of the people will walk the whole course. Um, people have up to 48 hours to finish the course. Um, and then I got intrigued and I was like, could I do 100 kilometers? Like, is it feasible for me? Um, and I was interested because of the charity part. Um, and that's when I started being like more interested in like long distance running and running like as an end itself, not just an end to beer, basically. Um, <laughs> and so I talked with some local members and we got a team together. And of course, if you're going to do 100 kilometers, you have to train for it. And so I started training more regularly, like not, I wasn't following like any program. I was just trying out stuff um and as part of my training uh in march of 2006 i joined the sasayama marathon and i could not finish it i got dehydrated that was when i learned that one of the important rules of long distance running is adapting to your environment and if it becomes very hot you should shed out some clothes which i didn't do that time i learned my lesson um and yeah, from there, then I started doing some uh, some more running, some more trail running. And mm -hmm. one of the runs that I used to run sort of fairly often, um, like I would do it every year, is the, uh, what is it called exactly? The Higashiyama Sanjuro Kumide Mountain Marathon in Kyoto. It's a 30-kilometer 30, 30 race that follows basically the, um, the East Mountains. And so you go through like the, the mountains behind the, like the mountain of Daimonji, which is really famous in Kyoto because they burn a big mm -hmm. uh, fire in summer and it finishes at Fushiminari. And the last time I did it, I have the paper right here. The last time I did it was in 2012. Um, I finished in four hours, 11 minutes and 50 seconds. So says my paper. Um, and since then, I sort of stopped running. Hmm. Um, I mean, I would sometimes go to hash runs and sometimes I would run a little bit on, on my own. But since I've had kids, um, I just became lazy and I had some uh, Achilles tendon injuries, which took a long time to, uh, to repair and so on. It was just at the start of this year, I was like, I want to go back trail running. And so I decided to make some changes in my life, like to basically uh, stop going out going out on most Friday nights. Um, and even like on weekends, I started uh, going out a lot less. I stopped drinking on weekdays to help me lose weight for the, the trail, uh, the race next month. Uh, well, this month, I mean, because of course the lighter you are, well, the easier it is to carry, carry yourself to the end of that 55 kilometer trail. And I started training more seriously following a uh, training program that I'd used the last time I had joined that uh, Kyoto 30 kilometer race. And it's been going well. I mean, I've been astounded at how, I mean, back in January, I was basically a couch potato. And yeah, so just last weekend, we did 50 kilometers together in the mountains. Of course, for you, it was a quite rough because you're, you're not used to that. You haven't been training for, for that specifically. 
Um, but for me last week, the 50K was almost a breeze. And I'm like, holy cow, like how come <laughs> me with my belly, um, I'm able to do 50 kilometers in 12 and a half hours and feel basically fine. It's, uh, it's astounding to me. I'll be, I mean, I'm not saying this like to, to, to boast or anything just for myself. I find that astounding. I find that amazing. No, no, definitely. Like once you have the right training routine, it's it, that. That's I think that's key. That's definitely key. Mm, yeah, no, of course. And also, I mean, for me, that's the thing is I decided to join this fifty-five k run because, I mean, you cannot do it just like by winging it. I mean, you have to be training. You have to be serious about it. And I know myself. Sometimes I can be a little lazy. I can be a little. Uh, I can lose my motivation quickly. So by joining a race, I'm kind of like forcing myself to go through with it. Um, and I mean, now that I'm doing it, I'm really enjoying it. Like this morning when I ran this at 10, 11 kilometers, it didn't feel like a burden. It wasn't uh, like a burden. It didn't feel bad. Or I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my run. Uh, but if you don't have like kind of like a, some sort of like outside um motivation you know like especially in my case i do most of my long runs on saturday mornings which means i cannot go out on a friday night if my friends were to invite me on a friday night and i didn't have that event i might be said ah oh, well i don't need to go running tomorrow i'll just go out with my friends and ah oh, there's this event i want to join oh there's this other thing that i want to do i mean there's just so many events that's that are happening these days you know um it's it's easy to get sidetracked um, and Facebook can be a good thing or a bad thing for that. I mean, one of the things that I hate the most maybe about Facebook, I mean, let alone the privacy issues, is the fact that, yeah, you learn about all of these events that look interesting. And I'm like, which one do I choose? I mean, I'm only one person. I don't have a clone. I have work. I have family. Uh, now I have this training that I'm doing. So it's hard to... To find the the time to do these things, and that's why, like for my uh, weekday runs, when I do uh, interval running and uh, tempo runs to to get my body in better shape, I often wake up at five thirty in the morning to go do to go do those runs because um, I want to be back for breakfast and have breakfast for my kids because that's about the only time that I get to see them on weekdays. So it's uh, that time is important, and waking up at five thirty for me. Is not problematic anymore. Wow. Well, you know, it takes discipline, right? If you want, mm. if you want to get something done. And I'm enjoying it, so it's all good. So mm. you were kind of going back into the events. I know you're, you are a busy dude. It's not mm. just running and it's not just the work schedule and teaching English at multiple different places, but you also kind of had a, uh, a what's the word I'm looking for? It, I hate to use the word TED Talks, but mm. <laughs> it's something similar to a format where people come up and give presentations, right? That's right. It's called the Pecha Kucha Nights. Um, it's an event that started in Tokyo, uh, I believe, eleven or twelve years ago. It was created by two uh, architects, foreign architects living in uh, Tokyo. Um, and so it's an event where, yeah, as you've mentioned, people come and do presentations. People come and do presentations about their passion, about their projects, about things that they love, about their travel, about ideas. Um, 
And so, of course, a lot of people make similarities with uh, TED Talks. Uh, two things differentiate us from uh, TED Talks, I would say. The first one is TED Talks are very top-down. You get somebody like really established, like who's at the top of his game in his domain, and he comes to educate the masses. Uh, the poor ignorant masses um, and I mean I'm not uh, I'm sounding maybe a little negative here um, but it's just like as far as the feeling is concerned because I do like TED talks a lot I do watch a lot of TED talks and I've used them in different uh, environments uh, they're very useful but you know uh, TED talks do have kind of like that feeling of like I am the master come and listen to me um, some of their speakers yeah kind of come it, off as like a hierarchy uh, talking down to their audiences yeah yeah a little bit yeah um but then the the difference with pechakucha nights is that basically the the speaker and the audience are at the at the same level um i mean uh, our events are really like networking events at the same time you know when we have like beer breaks when there is a social time or social networking time after the the presentations are done and so on we really encourage the audience to go and speak with the speakers to exchange ideas and so on um i remember once we had an event where this one person made a presentation about toilets because he really enjoyed um the whole cultural aspect of toilets and like the cleaning involved and so on and another person came from a small town in the kyoto prefecture um who was trying to look at ways to get more people to come his, uh, to his city for like to help with the economy and so on and the two of them ended up like doing a project together uh, which is like yeah two completely separate topics you know but you bring people together with different ideas with passion um and then connections are made and that's really what pechakucha nights are and uh, i mean i was really glad when you came and presented um was it last year i believe you came yeah. and did a presentation about uh, mma fighting and everything that you're doing so that was really interesting and yeah we've had presentations i mean from yeah people like you who do martial arts to musician who performed for us to a rocket scientist who came and talked about satellites to uh to the president of a motorcycle company who's designing a two-wheel drive motorcycle to fans of the band Yuzu. I mean, the presentation wasn't about the band Yuzu. It was about the community of fans around this Japanese J-pop group um, to whiskey lovers, beer lovers, like anything is fine. Um, and so our next night is going to be on June 9th. Um, there, I don't know when the, your uh, podcast will be up, but we might still have a few openings left for presenters, uh, but we'll definitely have room for people to come in attend the event and i i think that one of the best ways to explain pechakucha nights is that it's a little bit like a box of chocolate like that good example that good uh, image we have in the forest gum right you go to a pechakucha night and you just don't know what you're gonna get and your mind will just be transported into different universes um that you probably wouldn't have gone if you hadn't joined a pechakucha night so i really encourage people to come out and check it out and as i've said pechakucha nights are all around the, the world now they're in over 1100 cities i believe um so if you're not living in osaka or in uh, kobe i mean there is a pe there will be a pechakucha night probably near where you live and i encourage you to go and check them out so. cool yeah well 
when we wrap up, if you can just send me a link to that, and I'll, I'll absolutely put, I'll put it mm. right there with the podcast in the notes. And I'll, Sounds if great. you can also, if you can send me a link for the hash runners. Yes, hash house errors. Yeah, yeah the hash house errors. Oh, I'll mm. put that there for anybody who's interested in joining that club because that's that's an international club as well, right? That's right. Um, I've been to I've been on runs uh, of the Hash House Harriers, of course, all over Japan. Here, I've been to Thailand, Vietnam, uh, back home in Canada. Um, did we go? No, no, we didn't go. In, yes, in Australia, I went in Australia, yeah. Saipan. Uh, that's just where I've been, and I I have some friends who've been like in over twenty countries. Yeah, uh, more than twenty countries um, on those runs, and it's. It's it's a good networking opportunity, and yeah, as I've said, the great thing is when you do go to a new city and you join that club. I mean, the members will tell you where to go and where not to go. Uh, they'll tell you to avoid the tourist traps, and I mean, often they'll. I mean, it has happened on once, once at least once or twice that people just offered us to set their place. Um, so I mean, it can be a way to to get cheaper uh, accommodations as well uh, if you're lucky. Yeah, it's cool. And like I said, I, I think I've even heard of them in the U.S. too. So, yeah, wherever you're at, check out the links for that as well. Mm. Well, man, I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on the show. No problem. My and, pleasure. Um, Thanks for coming out on the run again the other day. It was like the first time in a very long time that I was uh, running with a partner. And uh, um, it felt nice to, to have something to talk. It certainly broke the... Uh, the solitude that you sometimes get on these uh, longer runs but uh yeah, it was a great experience to be running with you i mean if you if one day you stop doing martial arts uh, as seriously as you are now and you want to get into trail running uh, you definitely have some uh, potential there i mean you're already in great shape and it's just a matter of adapting your your body a little bit to to the demands of long uh long distance running on trails uh, well if anything i, I should be thanking you because like I said, I wouldn't have been able to finish that without a guide. So, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely thanks, man. I really appreciate yeah, you taking your time, not just for the show, but taking your time, going a slower time for me to be able to finish. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But as I told you, like going slower was in a way better for me because it, uh, it got me more... Uh, gave me more uh, practice into running like a longer time and yeah when i'll be joining the 55k uh in three weeks uh the trail is longer and i believe it is tougher so it will probably take me longer um or about the same time as what we did together so of course i'll be going at a slightly harder pace but having been up on my feet for 12 and a half hours i mean that's very useful in uh in training so uh, don't worry about it at all Again, man, I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm definitely, mm. I put you down as my uh, trail running sensei. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll accept that. <laughs> so for my listeners, um, stay tuned for some afterthoughts after this interview. And this should be up if everything goes the way I want it to by the second week of May. So right now we're in the first week. So by, I'd say I'm going to add by the May 10th or so, this should be up. Mm. Um, but I don't make any guarantees. It just depends how much time I have to edit everything. But yeah, it should be up within a week. 
Um, if you're listening to this on a different date, you're like, ah, he said May 10th and it came out earlier or later. Well, I warned you, it wasn't ex an exact science. <laughs> well, um, so stay tuned for the notes and we'll be right back. Here, at the end. here we are at the end. According to my watch, 49.5 uh, kilometers, so actually under a bit 50, but my watch is not very precise. And yeah, we did it, oh darn, I lost time, but we've done it in under 13, under 13 hours. Uh, Cool. So not super fast. It is dark as you can see. We had to take out our headlamps uh, uh, about an hour ago. But yeah, that's all good and it's all glad to be finished. And uh, yeah, still feeling relatively fresh, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, could have been a lot worse. There were some hairy parts in there, but like I like I said, the watch isn't that accurate. We know it's a, we know it's about 50 to over 50 kilometers. Mm. So give or take, we got it done in under 13 hours. That's more than we can ever ask for, and with no injuries. Yep. No injuries or Yeah, yeah. So finished it. Check out the YouTube. You can finally see the whole completed run. I do uh, ask you to check out the first YouTube of my failed run. <laughs> that way, this makes more sense. But hey, it's still a good story. I'm glad. Thanks for supporting Social Jello with Angelo. And next time, join us. Yeah. <laughs> if you dare. <laughs> so that's the whole show. Again, check out the notes. There's a lot of stuff in there about running. Uh, if you want to join the hash runners, <laughs> he's got a better, like I said, he explains it better than I do. But if you want to join that club, it's international, like you mentioned. The links are right here. Um, on my website at www.socialjello.com. Uh, hopefully you're listening to it from that. If you're listening to it from someone else, just browse by the website, just click on the podcast. You'll see the episode there. I think it's, I forgot what number of episode it'll be. It'll be the latest episode that just came out if you're listening to it this month. If not, um, yeah, just, just look for it under podcasts, possibly episode 34 around there, I think. Um, let me verify that for you real quick. So just give me a sec because I'm going to actually get on my phone and look at my own channel, which is always kind of weird for me. And check here, switch account, and go to Social Jello, which is, which is also on the YouTube. Like if you ever want to, if you ever have that kind of time, you can check out the YouTube as well. Playlists. I've organized stuff into playlists so you don't you no longer have to go through everything to see what I'm doing. It will be episode 38. Yeah, so if you go to Social Jello episode 38, that's the number that's the number of this episode for John. And uh, you can check out the links uh, if you want to get more into running, learn a little more about running. Uh, the book Born to Run, I have it on there too. A link to that. Also a link to a better explanation about sports psychology and what sports psychology has to offer to athletes who want to perform better. Alright y'all, thank you so much for listening. And uh, once a month, every month, I try to release one podcast and uh, combine with the YouTube video, it's the same thing. I, I recommend the podcast, but if you have the time for the YouTube video, that's cool too. And I hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great week, month, day. Peace.